Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company on this stormy Tuesday morning. Make sure you're safe out there this morning while you're making your commute to work or school, especially with us not having received any rain in what, about two months? <laughs> Getting a torrential downpour like this right now could cause some issues. So make sure you're safe out there as you make your way to work this morning. I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined inside the game studios by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, and we'll be here for you for the next three hours. This is what we got lined up for you today. Coming up at 7 o'clock, Brett Chancy, the co-host of the Locked on Astros podcast and a man who also contributes to the 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com, talking all things Astros. They're in their fourth World Series in six years. We'll preview that, look at that matchup between the Yankees and the Phillies. Of course, that will begin on Friday, Game 1, first pitch, 7.03. Astro launch will begin at 6.30, and you can listen to Game 1 of the World Series between the Astros and the Yankees on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. Scheduled to join us at 7.15, Coach Dez. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns, back-to-back wins. They get to 4-3, and three, and now they have a short week as they have to go to Hattiesburg on Thursday to take on old rival and new conference foe, the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. At 8 o'clock, Jim Gazzolo, the man who hosts the McNeese Coaches Show every Wednesday night here on 103.7 The Game and 104.1 The Game, also covers McNeese for the late Charles American Press. He'll join us to talk about just the punch to the gut loss that McNeese suffered on the road at Nichols. Can they bounce back? They'll have to quickly because Southeastern Louisiana comes to town this weekend. And then at 8.30, Ali Cassell joins us, the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. Pelicans began the season strong, 2-0, Lost on Sunday inside the Big Blender. It was an electric atmosphere, but then Zion got hurt. B.I. got hurt. We'll get the latest updates concerning the Pelicans from our friend Ali Cassell. So that's who we got scheduled for you on this stormy Tuesday morning here on RP3 and Company. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. You know that. You can give us a call on the hotline, 337-706-0111. That's 337 337- 7060111. And we're going to talk New Orleans Saints football as well this morning. We're going to talk NFL, and that's where we're actually going to begin. Monday night football was interesting for a couple of different reasons. 
It features two younger quarterbacks, and in this case, actually featured three younger quarterbacks that are early in their development, would be the best way to describe it. Bears have their guy, Justin Fields, but he has not been given the coaching, has not been giving the staff around him to help him develop, and I still question if the Bears have that staff in place right now. The former Ohio State star shows his potential in flashes, but it feels like there's times where he is limited and not because of his own skill set, but because of the way he's coached. On the other side, Mac Jones helped the New England Patriots to the playoffs as a rookie, earned a Pro Bowl berth, but Mac has been banged up. And last night, early on, Mac didn't look great. And the sensation that's the backup quarterback in New England, Bailey Zappi, the former Western Kentucky quarterback who gave them a spark, has quickly become a fan favorite. So you have a bit of a quarterback controversy with a rookie quarterback and a second-year quarterback in New England for a team that's still trying to find themselves. And you have another young quarterback, a second-year quarterback in Justin Fields, who really hasn't been developed and managed the way that he should be. And that was our Monday night game. As for Fields, 13 of 21. 179 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Now, finally, I've been saying this. They actually utilized his natural skill set, which is also that he is a runner. Look, the modern quarterback is trending towards guys that can do both. It just is. And it felt like the Bears were afraid to use fields in that capacity. And they kind of opened it up a little bit as he also ended up leading the team in rushing with 82 yards on the ground and a touchdown. So two touchdowns, one interception. He led the team in rushing. Still had, you know, just right at 300 total yards. Not exactly what you want to see from the young man, right? You'd like to see a little bit more. Or you'd like to see the Bears' offense allow him to kind of open up things and him to put up bigger numbers. 21 pass attempts seems low, right? Just does. But they are utilizing his feet more. And, okay, you can work with that. What happened last night is that they didn't need Fields to put up huge numbers. They didn't need their franchise quarterback to do that. Because their defense did a ton of the dirty work. Lots of short fields in last night's games, last night's contest. 33-14 victory for the Bears because their defense did their job. On the other side, Mac Jones started. They looked pedestrian at best. 
He gets benched after going three for six for 13 yards and throwing an interception. And then they bring in old Bailey Zappi. And he throws a touchdown. Like Comes right into the game, touchdown. Wide open touchdown. And there's chance of MVP, and there was chance before then of putting Zappi in the game. And they got, the Patriots' home crowd got what they wanted. And then Zappi prepared to go in there and go 14 to 22 for 185 with that one touchdown and then two interceptions <laughs> and and a lost fumble. So the backup quarterback promptly comes in, gives him a spark with the touchdown pass on a busted coverage play down the left sideline and then decides to also commit two turnovers in yeah. So there you go. The, the Patriots are a bit of a mess, and everyone wants to point to the quarterback play. But I also just look at their roster. It's not very good. It just isn't. It's not a very good roster. They probably would struggle, not like this, they probably wouldn't be losing 33-14 to 14 to the Bears, if they still had Tom Brady, but I, I just don't like their roster, and I haven't liked it for a few years. They're kind of halfway going through a rebuild. They're trying to do it the cheap way by just adding a piece here and there. When you watch New England play last year or you watch New England play this year, do they look like a really talented team to you? They really don't. They look like a middle-of-the-pack kind of team to me. So... But now Bill Belichick has himself a quarterback controversy. But Bailey Zappi wasn't much better than Mac Jones. Only after six passing attempts, you bench Mac. I found that to be odd. It sure does seem like to be a quick trigger finger on a guy that you drafted in the first round and was your starting quarterback. Now Mac's been banged up. But man, ugh. Three and four overall in New England. Bears improved to three and four overall. And once again, this goes back to my theory that the NFL is just not very good this year. Now that the week is in the books, you look at the league as a whole. Who's good? Well, we know Philly's good, right? The Eagles seem legit. Or at least they seem like a playoff team. And we'll just start there. But there's tons of disappointing teams. New England is a disappointment. You thought Pittsburgh would be able to at least be competitive. Whether it was the rookie out of Pittsburgh or Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback, you at least thought they would be, I don't know, halfway decent. But the Steelers are a mess. They're two and five. The Browns, we knew, were going to be a mess because of the Deshaun Watson situation. They're 2-5. and five, Not a big surprise there. New England, 3-4. and four. The Texans, we expected them to be bad, 1-4-1. But the Indianapolis Colts are 3-3-1. Three, three and, and now they've benched Matt Ryan 
for the remainder of the year. I want to like Indianapolis and what they do with their front office, but man, they are going through quarterbacks. The Raiders two and four. The Broncos are a huge disappointment at two and five, especially with all the hype that was surrounded bringing in Russell Wilson. Now I'm seeing now I'm seeing reports that there could be some of their young assets being placed on the trade block. Ha! You go from Russell Wilson's the missing piece to wait for it. Ah, we may be trading some of our best young players. Not a great sign. We know Detroit always struggles, but what about Green Bay? They look lost. They're three and four. Tampa, three and four, looks lost. Offensively, both of those teams look putrid. And remember, they they have great quarterbacks, so that means everything in the world. Now, you need to have good offensive line play. You need to be able to play defense, and you need good coaching. Your best teams right now in the NFL, as it stands after seven weeks, you want to know who they are? If the playoffs began today, Bills and the Jets, that's right, the New York Jets are five and two. New York Jets would be in the playoffs. Ravens, Bengals, they're four and three. Cincinnati may not even make the playoffs right now. Now, they've won four in a row. They've tried it. They've started to turn things around. The Titans, we knew the Chiefs would be good. Eagles, undefeated. Giants, surprisingly good at six and one. Minnesota, five and one. The Seattle Seahawks would win the NFC West. Not the Rams, not your defending Super Bowl champs, not the 49ers. No, 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 no. Geno Smith in the Seattle Seahawks. It's a wacky time in the NFL. It's weird. It's all over the place. Teams are struggling. Offenses in particular look bad and have a hard time getting on the same page. Which leads me to my final point before we take the timeout. As it stands today, October the 25th, the New Orleans Saints are at the bottom of the NFC South at 2-5 and five with the Carolina Panthers. They're only one game out of the division. <laughs> Once again, they're only one game out of the division. That's it. The Bucs lost on Sunday by scoring only three points and had their all-pro wide receiver drop a touchdown pass when no one was around. They're a mess. The division is a mess. It's right there on a silver platter. If the Saints can just get their head out of the sand and get the defense to play, I don't know, just mediocre football, they could easily win this division with eight wins. Eight and nine feels like we're going to have a few division winners this year in the NFL that are rocking that eight and nine overall record. But hey, Eight and nine doesn't really matter. You win your division and you get to host a home playoff game. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, it's time to cook up some gumbo for a very good cause. The Realtor Association of Acadiana is hosting its annual gumbo cook-off at Park International on Wednesday, October the 26th from 5 to 7 o'clock. The family-friendly event features a Halloween costume contest, music by the Rouge Crew, and of course, great gumbo from 26 different teams of area realtors who are competing to earn the title of Best Gumbo. Tickets cost $10 and can be purchased with cash only at the event. All proceeds benefit three local charities. This is what makes it so great. Maddie's Footprints, Habitat for Humanity, and Lane's Legacy. So come out and eat some gumbo, help out local charities, and have some Halloween fun to boot with the Realtor Association of Acadiana's annual gumbo cook-off this Wednesday. Talking NFL, Bears beat the Patriots easily. Patriots may have a bit of a quarterback controversy on their hands. Is either one of those guys great? Mm, I feel no. I feel like no. I feel like no is the answer. No is the answer. <laughs> but the start of this season has been lots of mediocre football. Lots of bad NFL teams. And one of them, unfortunately, has been the New Orleans Saints. Now, the Hoodats, though, currently, surprisingly, have a top 10 scoring offense. Its defense is towards the bottom. That's the big surprise here. Not offense, defense. We expected the offense to have some issues. Michael Thomas has missed the majority of the season. Jarvis Landry has missed the majority of the season. Their first-round draft pick, Trevor Penning at left tackle, is missing majority of the season with injuries. Alvin Kamara has been banged up. Jameis Winston has been hurt. With four stress fractures in his back, an ankle injury, and coming off a season-ending injury a year ago. Yet, Saints have no problem scoring points. It doesn't look pretty. They're not the most consistent. But the offense actually hasn't been all that bad. It's actually been, at times, pretty good. And when you look at In their own division. The Saints have scored the most points of any team in their division. They've scored 175 points this year. Next closest is the Atlanta Falcons with 163. By the way, Tampa Bay is 124. And you look around the NFC in general. Do you know who has scored more points than the Saints this year in the NFC? 
Would you like to know who it is? It's one team. Seattle Seahawks. That's it. The only team to score more points this year in the NFC through the first seven weeks of the NFL season are the Seattle Seahawks, a team that the New Orleans Saints beat. They had the second highest scoring offense in the NFC. Yet, they're 2-5. and five. And why are they 2-5? and five? Wait for it. They've given up 200 points. That's a differential of 25. They have given up 200 points. And that, ladies and gentlemen, no team in the NFC has given up more points than the New Orleans Saints as a team. In fact, no team in the NFL has given up more points than the New Orleans Saints. They're number one with the bullet. So as much as we want to look at this team and understand they have problems on offense, because they do, they, they, they also have to figure out who's going to be their quarterback. Because we're getting to the time where you can't be messing around anymore, right? You just can't be. You're going to get Jarvis Landry back hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully you'll get Michael Thomas back, Adam Troutman at tight end. If, if you're getting these guys back and you've been able to find ways to score points, now they've also, you know, the 200 points that they've given up is not solely on the defense. They had two pick sixes last week, didn't they? So go ahead and knock 12 points off of that. And if you do that, then they're second in the NFL behind the Detroit Lions with most points given up. But the defense has been an issue. they got to figure it out. Stop with the stupid penalties. Stop with getting burned on big chunk plays, both on the ground and through the air. And get a better pass rush. This team was supposed to be led by its defense. It's got to step it up. Leads us to our poll question of the day. Defense has got to step up. Make no bones about it. But offensively, they have a decision to make. Are you going to roll with the red rifle? Are you going to put Jameis Winston back in there? Are you going to use Taysom Hill? You have three options at what to do at quarterback. Because if you get the defense right, then you have to be consistent on offense. And you can't put one guy in and put one guy back in and go back and forth. You don't want that. That's going to be a disruption for the team. So Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael are going to have to make a decision, and it may be this week, to roll with whoever they are going to roll with. If it's rolling with Andy Dalton and using Taysom Hill in a secondary role, then that's what you got to do. If it's saying, Jameis, you only lost the injury, you only lost the job because of the injury. If you're healthy, it's yours. But they got to figure this out because it is looming. Andy has been serviceable, hasn't been great, been serviceable. Jameis has a higher ceiling. Jameis has more potential. Jameis has the ability for more big plays. But Jameis also has the ability to have more mistakes. 
You're two and five. You need desperately a win on Sunday. So who should the Saints starting quarterback be for Sunday's game? That's our poll question of the day. And we want to hear from you. Is it Andy Dalton? Is it Jameis Winston? Or is it Taysom Hill? Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we will share them and update it throughout today's show. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we're going to keep it right with the Saints. Oh, yeah. More Saints talk coming up. We'll hear from Dennis Allen. We'll hear from some of the members of the Houdats. That's all next, right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Soccer? Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Lafayette Marble and Granite offers the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble here in Acadiana. Look, Chris and his team over at LMG, they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you heard me tell you before, LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, man caves, and she sheds. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free showers. That's right. No muss, no fuss, and guess what? In a few years, you don't have to worry about the odor that comes with grout in your shower. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday, so visit lmgelite.com or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford and the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Poll question of the day is about the Houdats. Who should the Saints starting quarterback be for Sunday's game? Because it's getting to be about that time to make a decision. Andy Dalton has been doing a serviceable job filling in for Jameis Winston, but Jameis Winston won the starting job. It's his job. He got injured for stress fractures and an ankle injury. He's been the Saints emergency quarterback the past few weeks, unable to play, but is there just in case. You know what you're going to get with Andy Dalton. You just do. The Red Rifle in his early to mid-30s now, you're going to get what you're going to get from Andy. He's not going to win you a game. He's not really going to lose you a game, even though those two pick sixes, one of them, not all, not his fault, were just absolutely dreadful in the loss to the Arizona Cardinals on Thursday night football. But you know what you're going to get out of Andy? He's the epitome of a mid-quarterback. Taysom Hill, they tried to run him out there at quarterback. Didn't really work, but with the Saints and how they're built, and how they have so many injuries to the wide receiving core, and to the tight end room, and to the offensive line. Do you just go old school wildcat quarterback and just have Taysom be your guy? Is that your best option? Or is it giving the job back to Jameis Winston? Once again, he earned the job. They trusted him. 
He got injured, lost the job because he was injured. And if he's healthy, should he be the guy ready to go on Sunday against the Las Vegas Raiders? By the way, the Saints are a dog at home. They're a two-point underdog inside the Caesar Superdome. So it's now or never time for the Saints. We asked you, who should the Saints starting quarterback be for Sunday's game? 55% of you say it should be Jameis Winston. 25% say it should be Andy Dalton. 20% of you say Taysom Hill. Ton on Twitter says if he's recovered, if Winston, ribs are tricky though. Don't let him line up if there's even a slight twinge. I remember when I played football having separated ribs, and even today, 25 years later, it affects me sometimes. I know it's not the same, but rib, rib injuries take time. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, I really think that Hill gives them the best chance to score the more he's behind center. It also doesn't hurt that he is on all my fantasy teams. Good morning, Ray and Hannah. <laughs> uh, John Paul, I love that. I love that. And remember, Hill won with Callaway Smith and Hardy at wide receiver last year. This is true. This is true. Darren says, you see why they kept three quarterbacks. Yeah, they needed him. JPK, the OD, says, Jameis gets one more shot with a short hook, then red rifle with Taysom sprinkled in. But you said it, defense, defense, defense. Yeah, what happened to the Saints' defense? That is a good question. You started seeing chinks on the armor last season, but you thought, hey, the defensive coordinator that's been there a long time, he's going to be the head coach. You're not going to have to worry about the defense. You got David Onyemata and Cam Jordan, Peyton Turner's second year. Marcus Davenport will hopefully be healthy, even though he lost part of a finger in the offseason. You got Demario Davis. You added the Honey Badger and Marcus May. Man, y'all couldn't wait to see Marcus Williams get run out of town. Y'all miss Marcus a little bit, don't you? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. He plays better than what Marcus May and Tyron Matthew have done at the safety position this year. Ralph Bergeron with a great comment here. He says, it should be Lamar Jackson because we should have drafted him instead of that plug Marcus Davenport in 2018. Think about that. The Saints could have had Sean Payton and the Saints could have had Lamar Jackson. And they opted for Marcus Davenport instead. But I do think Hill is worth a shot. He was 4-1 and one last year and would energize the crowd. Can't imagine that Jameis is really healthy yet. And, and Ralph brings up a good point there. Jameis has been the emergency quarterback, right? How healthy is he? He had season-ending surgery last year. That usually takes more than a year to recover from. Right? Then he gets injured again during training camp. Has four stress fractures in his back. Has an ankle injury, rib injury. How healthy can Jameis really be? He's got the big arm. And that's great. But how healthy is Jameis? I don't know. That's a legitimate question because Jameis is going to be a gamer. He's going to tell you, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Let's ride. Let's go. Let's roll. Okay. And we may not really know how hurt Jameis Winston is or how much he has or has not recovered until we see him in a game. Because remember before they put him on the bench, so to speak, 
to get healthy. There were times in games where he had eight to ten yards of green grass in front of him that he could pick up a first down if he just ran the football. Instead, he didn't because he didn't want to get hit. When he does come back, is he going to have that instinct of, you know what, I'm going to put my body out there. I'm not going to worry about getting hit. That's a legitimate question because he was playing to not get hit before he finally got so hurt they had to take him out. Once again, Jameis's ceiling, higher. Andy's ceiling, lower, but you know what you're going to get with Andy Dalton. And think about this. With Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton essentially splitting time through the first seven weeks of the season at quarterback and sprinkling in Taysom Hill for some passes here and there, they've scored scored like top 10 in points in the league. And have done so without essentially Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas. It's ridiculous. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep them clean for the kids. And we'll share them throughout today's show. Once again, who should the Saints starting quarterback be for Sunday's game? If healthy, Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston, or Taysom Hill, we want to hear from you. Go vote and comment. But let's keep that Saints conversation going right now. Big game Sunday. Once again, they're a two-point dog at home as it stands right now to the Las Vegas Raiders, another team that is struggling. It's do or do time, right? I mean, right? We keep saying it's not a must-win. We keep saying it's not a must-win because the rest of the NFC is garbage. And that's allowed the Saints to still stay in this in their own division despite being 2-5. and But it sure does feel like it's time to kind of just get a win, right? Losing hope quickly in the Crescent City. People want to know, starting quarterback, is it going to be Andy Dalton? Is it going to be Jameis Winston? Could it be Taysom Hill? Could it be Uncle Rico? Who knows? Could be Hannah Five Names. Starting quarterback, what are the Saints going to do about it? This is what Dennis Allen had to say to the media yesterday. Yeah, look, I think that's a discussion that we have with the uh, with the offensive staff. Uh, you know, we'll see where we're at. I do think Jameis is getting getting healthier. Um, you know, and so I think that's a discussion that, that we have to have. I think um, you know, both of those guys will will, will have themselves ready to play, and and uh, you know, hopefully. You know, after we get a chance to talk about it, discuss it, you know, we'll have a good answer for what we're going to do. The man says nothing, always. You notice that? It's just the man. It's the man never says anything. It's just. It's just. Well, you know, they're uh, they're both healthy. Um, you know, we'll uh, the staff and uh, we'll uh, we'll evaluate. Well, we'll see who's ready. Like, come on, man. It's a simple question. <laughs> it's a simple question. So essentially, we won't find out who the starting quarterback for the Saints will be until, wait for it, Sunday. 
Turnovers have been a big deal. Despite being able to score a lot of points, the Saints have hurt themselves repeatedly week after week with turnovers, 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 interceptions, and lost fumbles. And D.A. talked about just how frustrating that's been. Yeah, that's the, fr- that's the frustrating thing. Um, the frustrating thing is, is that we have done a lot of really good things offensively, uh, but turning the ball over um, – you know, really destructs all of that. Um, and it's been in, you know, a few different areas. Um, you know, it's been, at times, it's been the fumbles, it's been the interceptions, uh, the returns for touchdown. Um, so that that has to stop because it negates all the good things that you do. So you can score as many points as you want. You can move the ball how you want. Um, but when you turn the ball over like that, um, it really negates everything. As frustrating as the turnovers have been, and they've been immensely frustrating for the Saints' offense, the defense, once again, he's in charge of the defense. He's no longer the defensive coordinator, but he was in charge of the defense for a decade, essentially. And he's now the head coach, and the defense has dropped off. They're nowhere near being the dominant force they have been. They struggle in the run. They struggle to get a pass rush. They struggle in coverage. They're wildly inconsistent. They're missing tackles. And he addressed yesterday the defensive production falling off a cliff. Well, I would say that I don't think we're playing as good defensively as I think we're capable of playing. Um, you know, I, I think I think we've got to get back to playing with the, the, the type of intensity and swagger that we've, we've played with around here over the last four or five years. Um, I think that you know, ultimately starts with me and developing that mindset and keeping that mindset. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, like I'd like to see, I'd like to see us do a better job of stopping the run. I'd like to see us, you know, get after the quarterback more. I'd like to see us take the ball away more. I think those are all things that, you know, we've done around here that we're not doing as well as we need to. And so, um, look, we'll, we'll be hard at work this week, come up with a good plan that gives us an opportunity to do some of those things. Okay, shouldn't you have already had a plan in place? You, you understand what I'm saying? Like, that's the most curious thing to me. Not the turnovers by the offense, because you've got a lot of guys injured on that side of the football. The defense and the fact that I've seen Paulson Adebo regress. I see Tyron Matthew not interested in playing football at all. I don't see energy on that side of the football. I don't see, as he mentioned, the swagger. Part of that's because you got rid of Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and Marcus Williams. You let Marcus Williams walk in free agency. Look, he got a big contract. I understand you didn't want to pay him all the money. And Chauncey was in a contract year. You didn't want him to be a distraction. Okay. Then you got to figure it out. And you got to figure out how to turn it around quickly. And D.A. talked about that he still believes that this Saints team can turn it around. Well, look, you know, I told the team today, we, we, I, I, I've been in this position before. We were in this same position. I believe it was back in 2011 with Denver. And, and I, I, if I'm not mistaken, our, our record was 2-5 and five at the time. And um, we ended up reeling off six wins in a row and got our record to 8-5, and five, ended up making the playoffs and winning the playoff game. So, um, 
you know, I think the 49ers were in a similar situation last year. They played in the NFC Championship game. So I know it can be done. Um, you know, it really just gets to us, um, you know, playing good football and playing complimentary football on both sides of the ball. We'll see if they can do that come Sunday against the Las Vegas Raiders. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company as we wrap up our number one on this stormy Tuesday morning. Make sure you're safe out there on your morning commute to work and school. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, the Karen Crow Cultural District is hosting Crow Fest, downtown Karen Crow Fall Festival. It's going to be this Saturday from 6 to 8. Families are invited to enjoy a safe trick-or-treating along St. Peter Street, which is going to be closed to vehicle traffic during the event. There's also going to be games, a haunted house, a petting zoo, a costume contest for the kids, and a pumpkin carving contest. It's a great old-fashioned Halloween celebration for the family. So go check it out. It's Crow Fest. The Karen Crow Fall Festival is going to be held in downtown Karen Crow this Saturday from 6 to 8 o'clock. World Series times have been set, and we're going to have them for you here at Delta Media. Game one this Friday between the Astros and the Phillies. 7.03 first pitch. You're going to be able to listen to it on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. Then Saturday's Game 2 from Houston, you're going to be able to listen to it live right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. First pitch, once again, 7.03. Then Monday's Game 3 as the series shifts to Philly. Games 3, 4, and 5 will be in Philly. Game 3, Monday on News Talk. No, sorry. Monday's game will be on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Tuesday's game four will also be on the game, and Wednesday's game five, if necessary, will also be on the game. All first pitch times are 7.03. Astro launch begins at 6.30. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two, we're going to talk more about the Astros with Brett Chancey. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. For the fourth time in six years, and the second time in a row, the Houston Astros are in the Fall Classic made their way to the World Series after sweeping the New York Yankees over the weekend. Now, standing in their way of a World Series title, their second one in history, is the Philadelphia Phillies, who play in the National League East. That division's been a bit of a troublesome division for the Strohs when it comes to the World Series, having lost 2019 World Series to the Nationals and then losing last year to the Atlanta Braves. Can the 
NL East make it three in a row against the Strohs? Or can the Strohs finally say, enough is enough. It's our time to hoist the World Series trophy yet again. To break it all down for us is the man who talks about the Astros for a living. He's from the Locked On Astros podcast. He's also a contributor for us here at the game. Our good friend Brett Chancy joins us. Brett, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. I just wish today was the first day of the World Series because the anticipation is killing me. We've got a red-hot Philadelphia Phillies coming in, led by you know Bryce Harper, who's playing like a man with his hair on fire, offensively crushing the ball. They've got two aces in Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. You know, but the Houston Astros have a great counterpunch. They essentially have four aces, seven starters. They have an offense that when they're when they wake up and when they're able to hit, um, I don't think their offensive power can be matched. But we've seen that they've struggled a bit to produce those runs. But that's why I liked Game Four in the sweep because it was a little bit of a fight that the Yankees put up, and the Astros showed a lot of fortitude and completed the task. The big thing that stands out to me about the Astros lineup, and you're right, they, they showed some grit, and some of the guys that had been struggling, like Alvarez, like Altuve, were able to kind of get going in that game four win in the Bronx. The Astros, the one like Achilles heel for them, runners in scoring position, they struggle to bring guys home. They do. It's, it's all solo shots, and, and that's how they get their runs, and it's usually enough. Uh, but they're going to be facing off against a team that's got some sluggers, Schwarber and Harper. They know how to hit home runs themselves. Is, is that the biggest thing for the Astros is be able to, once you get the guys on the base pass, actually bring them home and not have to depend on solo home runs to get the job done? Yeah, exactly. I, I think the key is, though, if, if you get someone like Bregman up at the plate, he's he's done very well. He's In the postseason, he's got – um, some of the top five records, offensively speaking, for third baseman in the postseason. And I think you've seen Bregman be consistent through both series coming into the World Series. But the pitchers absolutely have to keep Schwarber and Harper in the yard. You've got to keep some of these guys on their team that are actually hitting for a low average or they don't have the best OPS. They're still slugging two, three, four home runs. You know, they've, they've got several guys who have two home runs or more in the postseason and, you know, eight or nine games or having ever they played total, that's that's a big deal. I mean, Gene Segura can hurt you. Alec Baum, you know, he doesn't hit for average. He can get on base. He's pesky. Um, JT Realmuto, who is a phenomenal offensive catcher. So, you know, the Phillies have firepower. And it's so funny, whenever I try to break this down, people are like, I don't think you're giving the Phillies enough credit. And my counter is, no, I don't. I don't think you understand like how great this pitching staff is. The Astros average 4.45 runs per game in the first seven games. If they score five runs a game against the Phillies and the pitchers do what they can do, where the relief pitching had 30 innings and only gave up three runs, then I very much believe that the Astros can take care of business. I don't think it's a sweep. I think Philly gets a couple games here and there, but I think at the end, if everything goes according to plan, the Astros have enough counter punches and they have the depth in the bullpen to outlast any firepower that the Phillies may bring to them. So this Phillies team is not giving you deja vu from the Atlanta Braves last year? No, and 
Um, I'll tell you this. I know they're another NL East team, but there is absolutely no connection between the two, between the three. They're all from the same division, but there's literally no connection. The difference between this year and last year, last year McCullers was on the shelf. Last year Verlander was on the shelf. Last year Alex Bregman was playing with the broken hand, essentially. This year we have all three of those parts, healthy, and Alex Bregman actually has continued to hit. You've got Jeremy Pena. You've got like, Chaz McCormick contributing. You've got Marty Maldonado scoring runs. I mean, if, if he doesn't get on base with the walk and score that run, we're talking 5-5, five to five, the Astros and Yankees going into extra innings, and who knows what happens after that. So I'm just looking at what the evidence is presented to me. Yes, Philadelphia is dangerous because it is the biggest disparity between wins and losses from a top seed and a lower seed meeting in the World Series than that's ever been. And that typically the underdog – the moxie, I mean, what they have at their stadium in Philadelphia. I talked with the lock-on Phillies guy yesterday, and he said what they have built at home, the crowd, it's intimidating. I think it's important the Astros get off the ground 2-0 and go into Philly with a two-game lead like they did against New York. So, by the way you're talking, though, there should be no excuses for the Astros to lose this World Series then. Oh, Absolutely, 100%. I still think this is, of all the teams we've seen, top to bottom when they're healthy and things are clicking, I think this is the best team that, 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 you, that they've assembled. And if they do not win the World Series this year, I think for them it'll be a huge disappointment because their goal is to win. Their goal is not just to get here. But every, like, everything's just falling into place. Right? I mean, Dusty Baker is 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 performing at a master class level and deploying his bullpen and his pitchers. And his pitchers have all stepped up to the plate. And when they haven't stepped up to the plate, we saw they had a counter and they were able to come back because I would say the tougher series was, was actually the ALDS. That was really the real ALCS. I think we've talked about that before. Right. But you still have to go to the ballpark. You still have to play the games. You know, I'm not – look, I'm not going to make predictions. I have in my heart. I know how long how long I think the series is going to go. But I just think our depth, our depth is so much greater than the Phillies. And I think in a seven-game series, the Phillies pitching in bullpen is more suspect than the Houston Astros. We're talking with Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. All right, let's talk about that pitching staff, which I agree with you is is immensely talented, the best in baseball from the rotation to the bullpen. Does Jose Arquiti make the World Series roster? You know what? That is the question that everybody wants to know because he hasn't pitched. Like, what kind of bullpen sessions has he been going going with? You know, I'm, I'm assuming he's still been throwing. I'm assuming he hasn't just shut things down and just sitting around you know, eating sandwiches and chips. Well, yeah, you you, you would assume the, yeah. the, the coaching staff would make sure that he's fresh exactly. because he's the guy but, that has the most wins of anyone on the roster in the World Series. <laughs> no, he does. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Um, someone someone asked me this question the other day, and they were like, they were like, where's Arkady? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, Arkady's at the team. He's fine. He just hasn't been on the roster. I think he makes us roster. Um, I, I even think they bring in Will Smith. I mean, Will Smith was dominant last year in the World Series versus the Astros. And even though people, you know, he gave up a few hits his first outing in Houston and people don't trust him, um, that experience in those big, big games is huge. 
I, I think you'll see those guys on there. Who comes off, I think, is probably Martinez. But I don't know who the other person coming off the roster would be, to be honest. Yeah, it is It is curious. Okay, so Urquidy will probably be on the roster used in, like, middle relief if they need him just because of the experience, and, and that's immensely valuable. So how do you think the rotation is going to be set for the World Series? Is it going to be the same that we saw in the ALDS and the ALCS? Yeah, so you have you have two schools of thought here. Um, I think with Lance McCullough's struggles, I think it would be smarter to deploy Verlander. It'd be smart to deploy Verlander, um, Valdez, McCullers, then Javier. Because if Lance McCullers is giving you shaky starts, you have him starting in game three and game seven. And so if you don't like that, you can start McCullers in game two and game six and have Framber in game seven. So I think it's either going to be J.V., Framber, McCullers, or Javier, or it's going to be J.V., McCullers, Framber, Javier as the four. That second lineup I just gave you, that gives you J.V. in game one and game five. That gives you Framber in game three and game seven. So I kind of misspoke there. If if you are worried about McCullers and you don't want him necessarily going into clinching game because you think he might not exactly have it, then you're just going to flip Framber and JV, I think Javier is perfect for the road because he's done it in New York. Yeah, and he's it's built. Like he's yeah, he's built for the road, right? He's exactly. he's he, he's a guy that you look at and you're like, okay, he's good for the road. That being said, especially with McCullers looking a little shaky, that would lend itself to saying, okay, you're going to ha- find a spot on the roster for Arkiti because if McCullers doesn't have his stuff, you can bring in Jose. Exactly, and I think that would be because. The way Arkady locates his pitches, his movement is perfect. As long as he's hitting the corners and hitting the spots, Arkady can go up against any lineup. And remember, you know, the Astros took care of two of three from the Phillies in the regular season. They actually neutralized Bryce Harper in that series for the most part. So they've seen him before, you know. And this is what's interesting behind the scenes. We have Hector Neres, who knows the Phillies. But they have Garrett Stubbs and Kent Emanuel, who know the Astros. So you've got a couple players that were from the other club. You wonder if any of that, like, hey, hey, Garrett Stubbs, talk to us about the pitchers. You caught them, you know. You wonder how much of the chess match stuff is going on behind the scenes. But I think we see Urquidy make an appearance. And hopefully when he comes in, if he comes in relief, he does an effective job. When I see what they did against the Yankees, and the Mariners. And in both of those series, they sweep their opponent. They do so without Jose Altive being, let's be honest, an absolute no-show. Sets a new Major League Baseball postseason record for the best, you know, the longest Ofer streak to begin a postseason. Jordan Alvarez was a no-show after he hit the second home run against the Mariners for most of the playoffs. They didn't get barely any production out of Alvarez or Altuve, and yet... They swept their first two opponents because, as you mentioned before, Jeremy Pena, Yuli Gurriel finding the bat finally after 162 games of it being lost to him. Martin Maldonado, do you think this team is going to to get it all together offensively for the World Series? I don't know because they haven't shown us that yet. Do they have the capability? Absolutely. And what better antithesis to an Aaron Nola and a 
in a very good Zach Wheeler than to come out and, I guess you could say, shock the world and start getting hot against the best pitching. I mean, look, baseball is baseball, right? It can any day things can flip and turn on a pin. And so the Astros, my key to them getting hits is they have got to force the ball into the strike zone. They cannot expand the zone. Jose Altuve can't go an over seven like he well went over seven in the eighteen inning game, but of those twenty five pitches, eighteen of them were outside of the strike zone. He got two hits his last game against New York. I think that's a good primer, but momentum I don't think carries over from series to series because if it did, the Mariners would have had their way with the Astros. Um, if it did, maybe the Yankees carry that over with nothing that's carried over. Um, but they, I think, have to show up because the Phillies are a high-powered offense. So let's just say this. If those guys that you mentioned, if one or two of them can have a decent game, even if it's like Altuve in game one, Jordan Alvarez in game three, um, Kyle Tucker in game two, you know, like their stars doing something, at least one of them in each game, I think that's enough because everybody else around them seems to be getting the assignment. They got to score throws in the scoring position, um, but again, the pitchers have got to keep the ball in the yard. Brett, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy the World Series. We'll talk to you next Tuesday morning, my friend. Yeah, definitely, and thank you. And just make sure that y'all continue to check us out on YouTube. We've got Robert Flores coming on Wednesday at seven thirty live. He's going to hang out with us for a little bit and talk to us about the Houston Astros. World Series run, and just make sure you stay tuned in because we got some cool things. Um, we may be going to a game here or there, and hopefully we'll get some good sights and sounds from the postseason. Um, we are your team every day, and as always, go Strohs. That's Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast joining us here on RP3 and Company. we got to take a time out when we return. Ooh, could be talking some Raging Cajun football. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 180! What's up? Raging Cajuns head football coach Michael Desimo joins RP3 and company to talk all things Vermillion and White. It's time for Hashtag UL Culture with Coach Des. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How you doing? Good morning, Raymond. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, brother. I'm doing great. So let's go back to Saturday because your team put on quite the performance in a 38-18 to win. We, we talk about Ben Woolridge throwing five touchdown passes, which ties a program record. The offensive line is really gelling. The running game is up and running. You did it even without Chris Smith out there. Defense was nasty. Do you feel like your team is starting to really kind of come together and starting to reach that potential you believed it had before the start of the season? Yeah, I think we're getting closer. Um, and, you know, we, we talked a lot about it as a team this year, <clears throat> especially with a team that we have where you have, you have so many guys now. You know, obviously we've got a lot of guys that have played, but you have so many that are playing roles that they've never played before and they're, they're getting significant time. You know, we, we talked about if we do this thing right, we should get better every week of the year. You know, we, we should continue to, to, uh, 
you know, our trajectory should be up the whole way through if we continue to do it the right way. If we continue to work really hard, if we continue to pay attention to things that are important, all the all the things you know that you have to do to win. Um, and right now, our, our guys have done you know really a great job, especially this last uh, really about this last three or four week stretch here, um, really including leading up to South Alabama um, of preparing and practicing really well. And you know, in that game, obviously didn't get the result we wanted, but. Um, I think that kind of started to turn the corner for us a little bit where we're playing a little bit more consistently, a little bit better, and getting closer to where we want to be. I want to talk about the offensive line because you and I actually talked about it after the game on Saturday. But I want to just kind of elaborate a little bit more on that. We look at this team and we go, well, you know, the offensive line has been a work in progress, and there's a good reason why. Not only do you lose four starters from that O-line from a year ago – one of them is at Florida. Another one is starting in the NFL for a team that's really good in the NFL, the New York Jets right now. You lost two others to graduation. But the guys that are replacing them didn't have really any time together during the spring and barely any time together in the fall. So they're just now kind of getting to the point where they're developing chemistry in the last few weeks, and we're seeing the offense be far more effective because of that, Coach. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that has a lot to do with it. Uh, you know, I mean, I've said it quite a few times. You know, throughout this, throughout this deal, I just, I, I really believe that that the O line is the hardest group to really get on the same page because it's all five people. They're working together as one. They're on the same page. They're communicating. They're moving in sync with each other. I mean, it's, it's just, it's hard to do. It takes reps. It takes time. Um, and, you know, and I said this in the press conference after the game, and, and I was, you know, I was certainly never going to say it till I felt like we kind of started to to play a little bit better and kind of started to get close to where we were. But, you know, I mean, the reality is that we, we knew that that we had a new group up there. And I knew how much time those guys had missed. You know, if you go across the starting five, you know, you start with, you know, Nate Thomas, he missed half a spring. He had a hip uh, issue this spring. But he was really one of the more consistent ones that's practiced. He and A.J. Gilly at left guard. A.J. hadn't missed much. Um, David Hudson missed the entire spring, you know, half a summer before he was full go. His backup, Landon Burton, was doing great in spring and then has to have surgery in the middle of spring. And, you know, I still think he's not quite back to where he was. You know, I mean, that the surgery that he had on his foot takes a while. Um, but he's playing better for us right now. Uh, you know, at, at right guard, you go. You got uh, Jax Harrington. He missed half the spring <clears throat> missed half the spring trying to get back in shape getting ready to go then fall camp actually had an injury and missed two and a half two weeks uh you know at right tackle rubio's coming off a season-ending surgery last year he didn't get practice in the spring didn't practice really a whole lot in the summer he was limited all summer and you know we've had to limit him and even in the season up until really about a week ago so um you know we just we knew that it was going to be that way a little bit um but I certainly wasn't going to say anything about it because it sounds like you're just, you know, sitting there making excuses in the moment. But the reality is that we knew we were going to have to work through some growing pains. And Jeff Nord and Bryant Ross have done a phenomenal job of just, just coaching those guys through it, man. Just, you know, keep coaching them hard. Keep, keep showing them that, that you know they can be really good because we, we do feel like that group has an opportunity to play really good down this stretch. Um, and, you know, and the players have worked their tails off, man, just to continue to, continue to grind it out, continue to work through it. And, and, and fortunately for all of us, they, they've played really well the last few weeks. I want to talk about your quarterback because 
you know, he puts on a record-setting performance, 21 of 34, 315 yards, tied the program record for most passing touchdowns in a single game with five. He also spread the ball around. Back-to-back starts for Ben Woolridge. What are you seeing from that young man and, and what he's doing, not only on game day, Coach, but what he's doing to prepare for the game throughout the week? Um, I mean, his preparation has been really phenomenal. I mean, since he got here, uh, you know, if you, you know, you walk in here in the morning, sometimes you'll walk, walk down the hall and then, you know, he's sitting in the offensive staff room watching, watching opponent f- film at, you know, six forty-five in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning and kind of catch you off guard a little bit. Uh, but he's been that way since he got here. Um, you know, last year when he was the third string quarterback, really, uh, he'd be up in here all the time. I'd see him it, the staff room's right by my office. I'd see him all the time walking through, you know, just talk to him, whatever. Uh, and, you know, he during fall camp, he was the same way. He was up here every morning during fall camp earlier than everybody else had to be here watching tape. And he does the same thing now. So his preparation to me is, you know, preparation breeds confidence. Whenever you prepare really well, then you know you're going to go out there and go play really well. And doesn't mean you're going to play perfect. doesn't mean you won't make mistakes, but – it means that when you do, you'll know why you made mistakes. It means you'll understand the issues that are going on. I mean, the information that he gives you when he comes back to the sideline, you know, whether it's the nuances of the kid, you know, well, yeah, that, that was probably, you know, that was probably 20 fire zone right there. You know, they brought this guy, and the safety rolled over. I think it was man-to-man on the backside. It's like, yeah, you're right. You know, that's, that's exactly what it is. He gives you good information. He sees the things that you're supposed to see because he spent so much time watching tape. So, um, in reality, you know, I mean, I think that's what's led his, to his success. And, you know, for us, the last two weeks, he's played great. You know, Ben, Ben doesn't, you know, he doesn't care about touchdowns and any of that. He just wants to go out there and win. And it's obvious the way that he plays. Uh, and I think the thing that's really obvious is that his teammates have responded to him, um, you know, and, and they've rallied around him a little bit. And I think, you know, someone was asking me, what do you attribute you know, him playing well to? Well, one, he's a good player. Um, but two, you know, when the team steps up around the quarterback, that elevates the quarterback, and the quarterback elevates the team. They go hand-in-hand, hand, you know? Um, so I think he's just been really, really good for us, man. He's, uh, he's played great for us down, you know, these last couple games and really uh, played with some toughness and some grit and, and certainly has played very well. I know Arkansas State had their backup quarterback in the game. Their starter was a scratch, you know, leading up to the game. And and that makes a difference. But your defense goes out there and doesn't surrender a single third down conversion. They were 0 for 11. Just talk about just how good and how salty this defense is, coach. Well, I mean 0 for 11 is pretty impressive and and that's you know, I think it's a tribute to to our staff, how hard they work at it to make sure they've got a good game plan, to make sure they understand what's going on and put our kids in the right spot. Um, but I really think that our defense, you know, we, we do good on good every week. Obviously this week's a little different, you know, with the short week, but we do good on good practice every week. And, and it's, it's real deal now whenever you line up across from each other and you got there, I mean, it's, it's not easy to get yards. They can test everything and they don't know what we're, I mean, they have no idea what we're running. I mean, everything's everything's up for grabs you know for them and for us and 
it gets pretty serious. You know, we carry a pretty pretty high amount of volume on offense and defense, and our players go out there and they they execute it. They play well. They fly around. They're competitive as you can possibly be. You know, we do this competition period every uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, offense against defense, and the winner the winner gets to watch the other team do twenty push ups. Uh, and I mean, you've never seen twenty push ups matter so much. I mean, they do not want to lose to each other. They do not. I mean, they do not want to have to do those push-ups because, you know, that means you lost. And, you know, I, I, I get I get grief a lot of times on the scoring system. doesn't matter which way it goes. They, they, they get after me a little bit on the scoring system every time. But I think it just – that's just a story, I think, that speaks to their competitiveness. Um, and I thought even on Saturday night when the game was under control – um, they had a drive. Arkansas State had a drive there, moving the ball down the field, and um, you know. And I remember, you know, we had a, t- call a timeout, and they come to the sideline, and it was like, "Hey, this is enough." You know, like this is this is not the way that we do it. Like, let's go finish this drive. And they went out there. I think Zion got a sack. The next play, we end up forcing a field goal. Like, okay, now that that's more like the the way that we play defense. And you know, I think just once they kind of snapped into it and said, "Oh man, yeah, this is you know, this is competitive competition period. We we can't." You know, we can't let this happen. All of a sudden, you know, your experienced players go out there and make two, three plays in a row, and they have to kick a field goal. So, you know, those guys have just played great. They're competitive as, as, as you can absolutely be. And um, and I think our coaches, like I said, have done a really good job with them, uh, putting them in the right spots and making sure it's, it's uh, defensive systems and pressures that they can run and run effectively. We'll wrap it up with this, Coach. You guys got the short week. And you're taking on an old conference rival that's now part of your conference in Southern Miss Golden Eagles. Will Hall is leading them, and and they're seemingly trying to turn a corner themselves this season. Uh, I know it's early in the week, but what are some of the challenges that you see on the tape that Southern Miss is going to present your club uh, Thursday night over there at the Rock? I think um, you know if you just watch you know watch these guys as a team. Their defenses, they're 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 really good. You know, they uh, they fly around. They play really good football. <clears throat> they're disruptive. They cause turnovers. Um, lots of TFLs and sacks. Um, I think one of the big things for us on offense is we gotta we can't have too many negative plays. You know, now they're gonna get you sometimes just because they do a lot of different things. Uh, I think you know Austin Armstrong does a really good job. Um, they can do a lot of stuff on defense and they're going to get you sometimes, you know, you just got to make sure you, you handle it. You know, you got to limit the negative plays and you got to make sure that you're getting them, you know, you're in the right stuff where your kids can handle the movements, the pressures, and you got answers for them. Um, you know, their offense, they do a lot of different things. Um, they run, you know, almost every run scheme that, that you can possibly run. And they have it out of almost every different formation personnel grouping that you can possibly have it out of. And, you know, I worked with Will, and he's a really smart guy. You know, he can handle that, um, you know, and, and he does a good job managing it. I think their running backs are really good. Um, you know, they got quite a few different guys they like to get the ball to. And then, you know, on special teams, when you have a team that when you have a team that's coached by people like they have on their staff there, these kids are going to play hard. And that's what special teams comes down to most of the time is just, you know, you got to go cut your guys loose. You got to go let them play. Uh, make sure they have a sound scheme that they can execute and just let them cut loose. So, you know, they're a team that's really confident right now. Uh, they just won their last two games at the end of the game, the fourth quarter. And a confident team is always a team you better be ready to go out there and go play. 
Um, and the team that thinks that they're always going to win is a team that you better go out there and you better make sure you finish the game when you have a chance to. So uh, I, I think this team, no surprise with what those guys are doing. I knew they were going to continue to get better. Um, I knew that Will had a good plan for the way he wanted to run that, that his own program and the way he wanted to build it. And it's no surprise to me that these guys have turned the corner. So for us, I think it's going to be a hell of a game. I'm excited. I think anytime you get to play Southern Miss, I think it's a good thing, especially for our fan base and, and as far back as that rivalry goes. But now you add in the fact that it's a Sunbelt Western Division opponent, man, I, I'm just, like I said from the beginning, when I found out they were getting in, I'm, I'm thrilled. Uh, I'm thrilled about the, all the teams we've added, but certainly selfishly, you know, for us having Southern Miss in there, I think for our fan base, that's the type of thing I think that, can ignite a little bit of excitement and passion in both sides to say, you know, people people that, that really maybe haven't been around the program for a long time, they can see the, 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 the folks that have been here a long time and how excited they are about playing it again. And all of a sudden it's kind of sparked something that it's like, okay, well, this this is a bigger deal maybe than I, what I thought. So I'm, uh, I'm excited about it. You know, um, a really good football team that's really well coached and, you know, anytime you get to go out there on the road and, and put the culture on display on TV, um, you want to go out there and go represent well. So that's what we're working hard to do. Coach, always appreciate your time, brother. See you over in Hattiesburg after Thursday's game. Best of luck to you and your team. Thanks, Raymond. we got to take a timeout. Great stuff there from Coach Dez. Come back. We'll update the poll question of the day. We'll take your phone calls. Two guests back-to-back were great. Brett Chancey from the Locked On Astros podcast, previewing the World Series, and Coach Dez with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. You want to talk about anything they said? Give us a holler. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you or a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or for any other reason, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, pick up the phone, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service. And to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Remind you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig.
Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. We're asking you, who should the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints be for Sunday's game? Should it be Andy Dalton? Should it be Jameis Winston? Should it be Taysom Hill? We'll get to your comments and the latest vote tallies before we wrap up our number two. But I want to reveal about something that happened, occurred yesterday. Sometimes I take a nap in the afternoons. I'll work all day. I'll go pick up my daughter from school. And then, you know, I'll let her have a cartoon and a snack before she starts her homework. Yesterday, I took a nap. And when I awoke from said nap, I was covered up. Not in a blanket, but in one of my wife's, I don't know how to describe it because I don't understand fashion, but it was—it felt like a blanket, but it was like a big coat. That was my wife's. And I had fallen asleep in my recliner and my daughter, Hattie, felt because she thought her daddy was cold, bundled me up. So I woke up and I'm like, I'm, how, what? <laughs> like, what? How did this happen? I'm covered up, not in a blanket. No, no, no. My daughter, ever so resourceful, is like, I don't have a blanket handy. Daddy's cold. I'm going to take this coat that looks like a blanket, and I'm, in fact, going to cover up Daddy with it. And then, because apparently I needed to be taken care of, she's very nurturer, the daughter is. Uh, she wanted to share some Halloween candy she'd gotten over the weekend when she went with her Mimi and Pop at the campground in Beulah Rose, and they did trick-or-treating out there. So she wanted to share with me some of her candy, and, and, and a Tootsie Roll was needed to make me feel better. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying I'm blessed. I'm a, wake up, fall asleep in the recliner, and I wake up to being covered in an impromptu blanket, and then I got a Tootsie Roll. So... I'm just saying, I'm probably living my best life. Just saying. Just saying. Yeah, it was a fancy coat. A petticoat, maybe? Is that what I'm looking for? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I rarely wear coats to begin with. I have a sports coat. And then I have, like, a little windbreaker. But that, that's really it. I'm not a big coat guy. So that's not my, it's not my jam, as they like to say. Not my jam. And, uh, by the way, I did score one uh, for I did win yesterday because I came up with the idea for dinner, which was pigs in a blanket. Pigs in a blanket, mac and cheese. Dad for the win. Just saying. I'm just saying. When in doubt, when you're at the store and you're thinking, hey, boom, pigs in a blanket, mac and cheese. Kids are always going to love it. So does the wife. So do I. Can't go wrong there. Can't go wrong. Coming up next hour. Oh, man. The greatness is just beginning. Back-to-back -back great guests in this hour. But not to worry. Our final hour of RP3 and Company. We got Jim Gazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press. Also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show. He's going to talk all things Cowboys with us. That's right. Go Pokes. That's going to be coming up at 8 o'clock. Then at 8.30, Ali Cassell, the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, 
is going to talk Pelicans. Strong start to the season. Two wins. They look to make it a third. Unable to do so, losing in overtime. But they didn't have Zion. They didn't have B.I. They were both banged up. We're going to get the latest updates on their health heading into tonight's game against the Dallas Mavericks. That's all coming up next hour. But after this timeout, we're going to tell you about the poll question of the day, give you the latest updates and the results. Share your comments. That's all coming up next right here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, do you want to be one of the first people to see Black Panther Wakanda forever? Then simply text PANTHER to 337-283-8100. Once again, text the word PANTHER to 337-283-8100 for your chance to win a spot for two on the guest list for a private viewing of Black Panther Wakanda forever at Celebrity Theaters in Broussard on November 10th. That's just going to be a few weeks. Once again, if you want to be one of the few people that gets a sneak peek at Blank Panther, Wakanda Forever, the latest installment in the MCU, text the word PANTHER to 337-283-8100 to win tickets for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, brought to you by The Game, Celebrity Theaters, and Sherman Insurance. Let's check in on the poll question of the day, shall we? We asked you, who should the Saints starting quarterback be for Sunday's game against the Las Vegas Raiders? Once again, the Saints are a two-point dog at home. And offense hasn't been an issue with them being able to get yardage or get points. The problem with the offense has been the immense amount of turnovers. That's been the issue with the offense. And if Jameis Winston is healthy, once again, he's been the emergency quarterback the last two games. But it was his job. He only lost it because of injury. You know that his ceiling is far greater than Andy Dalton's. The red rifle is what he is. He's at the back end of his career. He's not going to win you a game, but he's not going to really lose you a game. Well, and unless you have a couple pick sixes, which he did. Once again, only one of them was on him Thursday night against the Cardinals. But do you stick with the red rifle? Do you throw Jameis out there to possibly re-injure him? Or do you go with Taysom Hill and just kind of run your offense that way? Or is it a combination? We want to hear from you. Who should the Saints starting quarterback be for Sunday's game? Right now, 48% of you are saying Jameis Winston. 28% say Andy Dalton. 24% say Taysom Hill. Let's get to some comments. Salty Steve has chimed in. Peyton and Breeze made the Saints good for years. Bad team before they arrived and bad team after they left. No excuses needed. Hire a good coach and find a good quarterback, then build from there. Steve says it's time just to shut it down. Two and five, no hope. Burn it to the ground, rebuild it from scratch. Brad on Twitter says if he's 100%, it should be Winston. Taysom needs to be used more as a wide receiver. Dude is big, fast, and athletic. Mr. Green, a.k.a. The Jimmy, says, Saints fans, you tried Hill without much success. Dalton is what he is. Winston still has potential, but he needs to be better. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. 
Not necessarily wrong there. But once again, offensively speaking, it's worked. You got to fix the turnovers, right? The fumbles, the interceptions. If you can do that, you're not going to put your defense in as, in as bad of situations like they have through the first seven weeks. And you're going to give you a chance. Once again, there's only been one team that has scored more points in the NFL, in the NFC rather, than the Saints. Only one. Yet the Saints have given up the most points of any team in the NFL this year. The most. So, cut down on the turnovers, the sloppiness. You could easily get back in this. Even with the defense falling off a bit, because let's be honest, it has. The defense is not what it's been in last in previous years. It's missing. The pass rush is not consistent. Besides Cam Jordan, no one else is really contributing across the defensive line. Demario Davis and Pete Werner are outstanding at linebacker. But the back end has been, let's be honest, pop ball. Hasn't been good. Paulson Adebo regressed. Even before Lattimore got hurt, he wasn't great. Tyron Matthew, no-show. Marcus May, banged up, inconsistent. They, they don't have a swagger to them. They just don't. It's gone. What happened? It's a big question mark. You know, what happened to the swagger of the Saints defense? Because they were led by that for years. They just don't have it anymore. Let's get to some comments on Facebook. Brooks says, Saints offense averaging 31 points per game with Andy under center. Until he gives a Matt Ryan-type performance, I'd roll with Andy. It's fair. Randy says, this team is simply better with Dalton under center. Dalton should remain starter. When will my fellow Saints fans stop being delusional, thinking he heinous Jameis will start being something he's actually never been? High ceiling? This is his eighth year in the NFL, so should we know who he is and stop pretending he can be good? Edward says Dalton, Thomas, and Landry need to get back on the field. Brian Gidry says Dalton. Cody says healthy Jameis. He's six foot four and a starter with the Saints. And the two losses this year, he was beat up. The one win Dalton has this year, we rushed the ball for 235 yards and three touchdowns. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we will continue to share them throughout today's show. That's going to do it for hour number two. Hour number three, we'll kick it off with Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press. That's next, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. You know what? Was I wrong about Justin Fields? Hmm. Was I wrong about Justin Fields? No, I wasn't wrong about Justin Fields. You see, our next guest is a diehard Chicago Bears fan, and he wants some sort of apology over the air. He's not going to get it because he wants to twist it around 
that I have beef with Justin Fields. In fact, I do not. I think he's immensely talented. I think the Chicago Bears have utilized him immensely the wrong way with poor coaching and poor development. And last night, they got the win. That's a good thing. And he gave you two touchdowns, which I guess is a good thing. And you're running him and you're utilizing his abilities. That's great. But 179 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception is not let's get his bust ready for Can Ohio. <laughs> okay, so let's pump the brakes on anointing Justin Fields as the next great quarterback in the National Football League. I know Bear fans like Jim Gozzolo get very excited about these things. You know, that defense, I guess, doesn't get any credit for last night's win and giving the offense short fields. I guess we just ignore the defense, Monsters of the Midway, there. I guess it's all about offense. Someone apparently was a Jim McMahon fan back in the day because they shared no, a first name not. together. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome. Oh, Jim Gazzolo's on the air. How you doing, bud? I was not a Jim McMahon fan. <laughs> you, did, you didn't have the headband and the sunglasses? No. No, uh, I liked him, but I liked him because the team liked him. But I, I didn't think he was. Look, I, the one seventy-seven isn't fair because to me, he didn't. They didn't attempt to pass in the fourth quarter because they didn't have to. They also the defense played really well last night too. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the type. This is the type of team Bear fans want: run the football, throw when you have to, and play good defense. I agree. Two hundred and forty Chicago. Two hundred forty-three yards on the ground. I agree. And they're utilizing Justin the the right way. Yeah. They, they're able to utilize him. And, and once again, you, you're trying to trick Hannah into making me apologize. I've never been anti-Justin Fields. You and I have had I this discussion, you sneaky man. You sneaky man. I don't believe in the I Bears this, I will say this, coaching in staff. Football, in all of football right now with the way the game is played and defenses are built, I think if you, can, if you have a power running game, I think you're going to be successful because I think everything's – designed to stop the pass thank you I've actually thought about this as well where we've seen these offenses struggle we're talking Aaron Rodgers Tom Brady Russell Wilson it doesn't matter these marquee quarterbacks and supposed high-powered offenses I believe like you Jim defenses have game plan to sell out on stopping the pass because teams have essentially abandoned the running game have made it an afterthought and are using guys that are drafted in the sixth round as their running backs and yeah. offensive line have forgotten how to run block as well. So, and, yeah, and, and coaches don't want to do that because that's not what gets you hired. Correct. So, yeah. I, but yeah, if you have I a team the it is. Yeah. that can run it's the football, that changes. yes, if you have a team that can run the football, you're going to be able to win a lot of games this year. You just are. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about winning football. Let's talk about the McNeese Cowboys. If, they, you have a, if you have a football team that can run the football, you're going to win a lot of games this year. I, I don't What do you want to talk about? How did they lose that game on Saturday? Because they were Uh, in control. They're on the road. They're looking to get their first conference win. And I I, I was paying attention. I was covering another game. And all of a sudden, I looked up and someone said, how did McNeese do that? And I go, what do you mean? How did they lose? So I'm going to ask you the same question that was asked to me. uh, They they lost basically because that's what young teams don't is the last piece is learn how to win. Um, they just, they make too many mistakes at crucial moments and they don't make enough plays at crucial moments. 
And that's that's what happens. They are abysmal in the fourth quarter. Um, and this was another one. This was a this was a winnable game. This game was in I won't say it was at hand, but every big play in the fourth quarter was made by Nichols. Including a fourth and inches and they didn't get it. The learning how to win, how to close out games, that's something that has to, to they have to figure that out and that's only gonna happen. Yeah, that's not something you're gonna be able to teach in practice, right? That that's something that No a group of guys, 50 new guys to a team are just going to have to figure out on their own. Like that's, that's how that works. Yes. And and they've got to, they've got to look, they're dealing with stuff that is five years of the making. And And I mean it this way. They had seven players. Now they've never, never traveled the night before games to Southwood games for the most part, unless it's incarnate word to play in the morning. So they're not used to the hotel business and blah, blah, blah. Seven guys decided to break curfew. That doesn't happen when you're at home usually, but it does there. And that's what I mean by they've got to learn. And those seven guys are all previous golf guys. And so he has to discipline them. He's still that there's so much was let go the last seven years. I'm telling you that you don't, what, you, what we used to watch in practice that would be allowed is not allowed. The goofing off, the sloughing and all that. But there's some rebellion of older guys that happens, whether it be attitude-wise or that, and you've got to fight through it. This was a, this year was destined to come at some point. And we've talked about Gary Goff essentially rebuilding this thing from the ground up, right? He takes it down to the yeah. studs, and, and he's going to set it up. My bigger question for them is how do you allow a young team, because they are very young, a lot of freshmen and sophomores are are starting for this team. How do you let a young team that's still building chemistry, that still was pieced together during the summer, how do you allow them not to be discouraged and overwhelmed by the fact that they're one and six? I think some are. I, I think I think I think we're seeing a a kind of um crossroads of some players. I can tell you this much. There are certain seniors, Calvin Burkett is one of them, the offensive lineman, who loves this coaching staff. Every senior I've talked to, now last year's seniors were saying, yeah, we're trying to get through it, but you saw that, not good answers. Every senior I've talked to has said the same thing. We want to be a part of the reason why this builds because the coaches have coached us from day one. I had somebody tell me, a player, say last year we hated our coaches, we hated each other, we hated coming to practice. Ooh. We're still having fun at practice. That's a woof. <laughs> and our coaches, and, he, and the point was also made, our coaches didn't like each other. Ooh. That's, that's what we like to call not optimal, Jim. That's not optimal when you're running – a program we're talking with the great one Jim Gazzolo McNeese beat reporter for the late Charles American Press he's also the host of Poke Nation and the host of the McNeese Coaches Show the latter you can listen to every Wednesday night right here on the game you're so good at that you're so good at that throwing that in you're a professional Uh, I uh, can tell I I try not to be um it just it just (laughs) happens that way so 
you have a game that you should have won slip through your hands. Now yes. you have to bounce back, and I, you look at their schedule. Southeastern is down, but I still feel like they're better than McNeese. That's homecoming yes. on Saturday. Then it's Eastern Illinois, who's been on the struggle bus as well. That's going to be the following Saturday. And then Houston Christian, who is, once again, a team that has struggled, formerly Houston Baptist. The bus gets crowded after that. Your struggle bus gets crowded after that. <laughs> yes. They have, even with their issues, yeah. they have what I still view as three winnable games left on the schedule, Jim. Am, am yeah. I crazy for yeah. thinking that? Yeah, I know you're not crazy for it, oh. but also those teams are looking at them and saying that's our winnable game. Too. Uh, it's true. It's so, true. It, it, it goes the other way. Yeah, I get it. But they, we also thought Nichols was a winnable game, and it was. So let's see if they can do that. Let's see what they look like coming out of this week. If they could win three out of four, and, win, and the last three big wins, then he's got something to sell to recruiters or to recruits, and I think that's a big thing. How they finish is a big thing. I mean, the last three games of the year, I think there's four wins between those teams. Um, but they've also – this isn't – Southeastern is always an interesting game to me because last year Southeastern far better team than they are now, I think. And McNeese ends up three games losing all when they have the ball in a one-possession game, one time to the two-yard line at Fumbling, one time it's a missed kick. Yeah. So they're always, they always play Southeastern well for whatever reason. Uh, I want to see how this group does. But, you know, who's going to quarterback? Are you going to quarterback? <laughs> I do not believe I have any eligibility remaining, uh, uh, Jim. So that, that leads me to my next question. Where do we stand uh, at the quarterback? We know Knox Kadem got roughed up on what some would say yeah. is a questionable late hit in that ball game, could not return. He's the starter. They had to go to Roberts as their backup. Cam Ransom, is he still with the team? Is he still on the roster? Is he even an option? Who's going to play quarterback for them come Saturday for homecoming against Southeastern? Uh, they're hoping Knox is listed as day-to-day. -day. Uh, okay. We'll know more about him Thursday. If he will be on a pitch count practice-wise, he did practice yesterday, but he did not throw. Uh, I think it's going to be very hard for him to play, but we'll see. Um, I think Ryan Roberts will get a chance. I think Cam McAllister, the freshman from Texas, will get a chance because Gary Goff has said we're into the four games that don't lose you a year. So let's see something last administration didn't do, by the way, when we asked him, if you remember last year. But we're not going to do that. Um, and I – been watching the last couple of weeks. Walker Wood has taken some uh, snaps at quarterback. Maybe he's an option. It would be really tough to throw Roberts, a redshirt freshman from Lafayette uh, Christian Academy, I believe, and um, or Cam McAllister, a true freshman, against the preseason favorite at home at homecoming and say, that, hey, it's your baby. Um but let's see. I, I think you may end up seeing more of Walker Wood than people think because he's been in the SEC. I don't think the moment would be too big now. Does he have the skill to do it? I don't know. That's you know. Well, th there's a reason why he was happening. moved. 
that there, Jim, there was a reason why he was moved to wide receiver. I, I, I yeah. So, so I, I'm not. I'm, look, I don't think he's Joe Montana coming out of here. I think uh-huh. they can snap the ball and run the offense. Oh, Joe Montana! Uh, time for a little chicken soup game on on Saturday. No, so I don't. I don't think Justin Fields is going to play. How's <laughs> that for you? Okay, so I, I get. The I get the uh, is still defensive back. Okay, okay. Simmer down, simmer down, big fella. I know you're excited about the Bears win. You mentioned okay. wanting to get the younger guys some reps. They can still be redshirted if they only play in the four games. That makes a lot of sense, especially with the four games they have left. This is kind of a lost mm-hmm. season, so you're going to figure out what you have. You mentioned moving Walker Wood back over from wide receiver to quarterback. Okay, if Knox Kadem can't go, I get that. I asked you about Cam Ramsa, and you didn't answer. You didn't mention him at all. Oh, I'm sorry. He is on the team. Uh he has been demoted to scout team quarterback. Ooh. Um, on a one and six team, not I great. Don't, I don't think he's an option because you look at his last three plays and they're fumbles. Um, so ball security is a huge question mark. Uh, I, I just, I, I would be surprised. I would not be stunned, but I'd be a little surprised if we saw him. It's fair. He didn't make the travel roster last week. Ooh, not, not, <laughs> that's not what we call optimal, my friend. That's not what we call optimal. Still, <laughs> they have some winnable games here in the Southeastern Series. Has been kind of weird, especially in the last couple years. So uh, it would be great if they could maybe get their first conference win there. If not, I like their chances to go play the fighting CVS pharmacies of Houston Christian, formerly of Houston Baptist because they have the CBS connected to the stadium, by the way, which is which is something unique. I wish I didn't have prior – I wish I didn't have a wedding to go to that day because I would travel to Houston just to go see a game where there's a CBS attached to the stadium. I think that's uh, an interesting development. I'm afraid that if you and I both went, there might not be enough seats in the press box because it's very small. Very limited press. Box. I could just watch and the game. Traveling press guys might be too much. I can just watch the game from the pharmacy. Uh, that's what we could we could do. That's our backup option. That's our backup option. Get your prescription. Hey, I need to get my scripts filled. What up? It's during the game. Jim, always appreciate your time, brother. Enjoy hosting the McNeese Coaches Show this week, my friend. We'll talk to you next Tuesday, brother. All right, we'll talk to you. Yes, for those who don't know, Houston Baptist, now known as Houston Christian, has an actual CVS on site where the stadium's at. So you can be inside the pharmacy, and I've been told you can look at the football game. Bizarre. Never seen that before. So I don't know. I have questions. Was the pharmacy there first, and then they just built the stadium around the the pharmacy? Like the pharmacy was like, man, this is premier real estate here on campus. You're just going to have to put the field behind us. And the university's like, that's fine, sure. Or did they actually construct it going, hey, let's put a pharmacy there? It's intriguing to me. But as bad as things are for McNeese, and it is a lost season, they can get a lot of these younger guys, much-needed in-game reps down the stretch, 
And Eastern Illinois, Houston, Christian, Lamar, those are all winnable games for McNeese. Now, those three teams, like Jim pointed out, are also looking at McNeese and going, that's a winnable game for them. So we'll see how the Cowboys are able to finish the football season. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company, though, coming up. Update that poll question of the day. Share your comments. That's all next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Camara bobbles it at the 20. He reels it in, and he's got the ball. What a catch by Camara. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the NFL. Lopez Trail Run for Life 2022 is this Sunday. Man, that creeped up on us, didn't it? The 10K, 5K, or one-mile superhero fun run is taking place at the Cherokee Ridge Horse Farm, located at 200 Flying W Road in Karen Crow. Participating supports Lopa, and it's a chance to honor Lopa's life-saving heroes and celebrate the gift of life. Once again, Lopa's Trail Run for Life is this Sunday, 10K, 5K, or the One Mile Superhero Fun Run. It's going to be held at Cherokee Ridge Horse Farm in Karen Crow. For more information, go visit lopa.org. That's lopa.org. Let's check in on the poll question of the day. We asked you, who should the Saints' starting quarterback be for this Sunday's game? If Jameis is healthy... Should it be him? Or do you keep rolling with the red rifle Andy Dalton? Or do you possibly throw, you know, throw the dice, roll the dice, and go with Taysom Hill? I, I think Taysom's better served as that wild card role, that joker role. Line him up at tight end, running back, wide receiver, use him every once in a while to throw the football. But as the full-time quarterback, no. I think utilizing him with either Winston or Dalton is probably the way to go. I think that makes the most sense for their offense. But we want to hear from you. Who should the Saints starting quarterback be for Sunday's game against the Raiders? Once again, Saints are a two-point dog at home for Sunday's game inside the Caesar Superdome. Right now, 51% of you overwhelmingly are saying Jameis Winston. 25% say the Red Rifle, Andy Dalton. 24% say Taysom Hill. And look, this is just how I roll. Jameis Winston won the job. It was Jameis's job. He lost the job because of injury. Andy Dalton has not necessarily sat the world on fire. He's played pretty good, right? The offense has been able to move the ball fairly well. They've been able to run the football fairly well. Turnovers have killed them. Turnovers killed them when Jameis was the quarterback. Turnovers continue to kill them with Andy Dalton at quarterback. I don't think there's a huge difference between the two and what they bring to the table. But Jameis has a little bit more upside. Jameis can make those deep throws down the sideline. The problem is this. Do they have anyone to catch those deep balls? Is Michael Thomas, who's mainly goes across the middle and doesn't really, is not really like an old school Devery Henderson deep threat. He's not that. But you don't have Michael Thomas. You don't have Jarvis Landry. Does it matter? Or do you feel like maybe the upside for Jameis 
is not that great that you can continue winning games with Andy Dalton and just sprinkling in more Taysom Hill and more Alvin Kamara and just fix the turnovers. Because if they just fix the turnover issue, man, they're they're probably, I don't know, at least a 500 team right now, maybe above 500. Turnovers have been killer for the Saints on offense, and the defense sleepwalking through the season and not showing up has been the other big reason. But if Jameis is healthy, I feel like you probably need to go with him. But we're also getting to the point in the season here, after seven weeks in the books, you got to go with who you have, right? And if Jameis is still not quite healthy enough to go, you start Andy Dalton on Sunday, do you just roll with the red rifle the rest of the way? I, I... you're going to have to get to a point where you're going to have to stick with one guy. But Andy hasn't done anything to secure the job either, has he? Once again, the turnovers have been massive. He threw for a ton of yards and threw a bunch of touchdowns. He also threw three picks Thursday night. So I'm interested to see, you know, what they're going to do here. Because Jameis, once again, did win the job. He lost it because of injury. But here's my other question mark. This is what makes it a little complex for me. Makes it difficult for me to kind of chime in on it and make a firm decision is, are we really going to know if Jameis is fully healthy? Coming off a season where he had season-ending surgery, has four stress fractures in the back, has a bum ankle and bad ribs. He's a gamer. Is he really going to be 100%? And if you're only going to get 80 to 85% Jameis Winston, isn't that about the same amount that you're going to get with 100% Andy Dalton? I'm just throwing it out there. Because Jameis playing hurt and making bad decisions because he's hurt, that hurts the team, no matter how great his potential is. Let's quickly head out to the hotline. Well, oh, I was waiting to see if I would hear from our guy here. It took a couple days. I fully understand why. I'm not going to be judgmental on the fact that it took him a few days to call the show. That's okay. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Paul, to the show. Paul, good morning to you, bud. How are you? Uh, still not good. I'm still. I think there's still a Yankee tornado watch. <laughs> I got, I'm, I'm still getting text messages, you know. So. I might as well go ahead and just. I'm trying to heal. They won't let me heal. So uh, that's what that that rough. That that's that's when you got to turn off that phone, bud. You got to turn it off. Oh, I did that to it. Whenever I turn it back on, Bing, 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 Bing. <laughs> Martin calling. Um, Ronnie. I got my sister. I'm getting it from everywhere. Oh, yeah. bud. Yeah, I know, bud. And it's the life Whoa. of a fan, man. It's the life of a fan. <laughs> you so know, I'm a Yankee fan. That, that's what that is. Of a Yankee fan. Too many Yankee haters out there. You know, Bandwagon Martin, that's his new name, Bandwagon. The man is a Sox fan. Now he jump on the um, Astros. Boy, I tell you, that's sad. I figured I'm going to be a bandwagon to a jump on the Phillies. <laughs> <laughs> what you going to do? It's going to be devastating if the Astros win. What, what, that's like the, the Red Sox winning for me. What, what you going to do, bud, in this offseason? What's your team going to do? Uh, I hope we get rid of Boone. He got to go. That's it. I'm done with him. I can't give him no more chances. No. Nah. And then just try to keep um, Judge. 
Make some changes, man. I don't know. Just get rid of Boone first. That, that, I'll go from there. <laughs> there you go, brother. There you go. Now, I, I called in. Now, you said it was 50-some percent said Winston, right? Uh, the polls say that it's like 54, 55% last time we checked. Okay, I'm pretty sure that's split by himself. I'm pretty <laughs> sure of that. <laughs> but I, this is what I, I look at. I want Dalton. I know I know he's not the future um, for what Foot says, but he moves the chains. I, I look at better than Winston. He he's more um, he he do everything under, not deep, but he moves the chains. He got better chemistry. I noticed with some of the receivers, especially that rookie and Rasheed, whatever his name is. Then Winston does. Winston can go deep, but he can't do everything underneath. See, they opposite. But I, I, my, 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 my counterpoint to that, Paul, and it's a good point by you. I'm, I'm not disagreeing that. The only uh-huh. thing I would say is they also started play calling to run the football more since Winston's been out. So that, that that's another mm-hmm. question mark for me. Why didn't they do that while Winston was in the game? Okay. I, uh, that, I, that, I agree with that. that that's one now, thing. Gotta, and and uh-huh. could Winston thrive with this, this way of calling games where you rely on the running game to set up the pass? I agree with that. I agree with that. They they play call and change with the with the quarterback. Yeah, Winston do have the most interceptions in the fourth quarter, and I feel I'm a person. I would throw an interception early, not in clutch moment. You know, you can recover if you throw in the first second quarter. When you throw it in the fourth quarter, depending what the score is, you know, it's kind of hard to come back from that. I agree, so I brother. That. And then he'd be doing definitely doing it by the goal line. Oh my God! <laughs> but they both do turnovers at the end of the day. I just look at when when Dalton is in the game, that offense is moving. It's moving. It gives us a chance to get a in field goal position. Winston go too much three and out. Too, you know, so I like Dalton. I think he'll need to stay in the role that he's in. Let Winston heal. He got a back problem, let him heal. The back don't um um get healthy overnight. Let him I got heal. You, bro. I got to let you go, Paul. I got to let you go, but I'm, I'm, I'm up against a break, brother. But I appreciate right. the phone call. Enjoy your day, buddy. All right. We got to take a timeout. Good phone call there by Paul. It's going to be a rough offseason. They're going to have to pay Aaron Judge like $450 million. Going to have to pay him a half a billion to keep him in New York, I do believe. Oh, that's a lot of money. When we return here in RP3 and Company, we're going to shift gears to the New Orleans Pelicans. Ali Cassell from the Bird Rights will join us. That's right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Pierre the Pelican and the King Cake Baby consider him a close personal friend. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. Or at least a Facebook friend or MySpace friend. Is MySpace still a thing? I wonder what Tom is up to these days. He's desperate. He'd sleep with a meat grinder. Time for some more friendly Pelicans talk on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's right. Because once you become a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou. Oh, man. You want your steak cooked the way you want it? Done right with a good cut of meat? Yeah. Yeah. 
Mr. Lester's is the place to go. Once again, $150 gift certificate. By the way, I like mine medium rare, in case you were wondering. At Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou. You can also, once you become a member, score a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. That's a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. Or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. Want something a little bit more casual for you and your lady? We can make that work. But once again, we have those gift certificates to help you out with your date night blues inside the clubhouse. Here's the thing. You can't win them unless you sign up. So go sign up today. It's free. It's easy. We even have a video on the website to show you how to do it. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. Don't forget to go vote on our poll question of the day as well. It's about who should be the Saints' starting quarterback. Should it be Andy Dalton? Should it be Jameis Winston? Should it be Taysom Hill? Go vote. Leave your comments. And your thoughts, just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. While we effort getting on Ali Cassell of the Bird Rights, let's talk a little bit more about the World Series. You know, we talked about the guys who haven't been able to step up. The guys who have, quote-unquote, struggled, if you will. Jose Altuve, postseason doldrums. Major League Baseball record for worst start to the season. Worst start to a postseason, rather. Jordan Alvarez, after he hit those two home runs against the Mariners, he disappeared for four games. But a guy that hasn't, and a guy who had a very sluggish start to the season, is Alex Bregman. The former LSU star has been absolutely clutch. Lights out, awesome for the Strohs. In the ALDS three-game sweep of the Seattle Mariners, Breggs, in 16 plate appearances, went 5 for 15, drew a walk, hit a double, hit a home run, hit 333. In the ALCS, 16 plate appearances, just like the ALDS, he went 5 for 15 again, a walk, a double, a home run, and hit 333. Nearly identical. That's called consistent play. And we've talked about this on the show that Jose Altuve may be the guy. Jose Altuve may be the face of the franchise. And Jordan Alvarez may be the young slugger. But very much, this team goes when Breggs goes. And... When he was off, they struggled offensively a little bit. He had his kid, and since he had his kid, it has kind of changed things around. He feels like more relaxed, and he feels more like the Alex Bregman of old. He just does. And when he plays, he has that certain moxie about him. He has a bit of a chip on his shoulder. He did that when he was at LSU, and he continues that on now playing for the Astros. When Breggs is on, this team is hard to beat. Because he picks up the slack when Altuve is off. His glove work is magnificent at third base. 
really, he's the key. We know the pitching is top rate, top notch for the Astros. Best pitching staff in the big leagues this year, rotation and bullpen. We know they got the arms. We know they got guys that can contribute. We know Jose Altuve is not going to go 0 for every game in the World Series. We, we understand that. He's going to turn it on. But for me, I think Bregman's the guy that stirs the drink. He just is. His attitude, the way he conducts himself, they play with a chip on their shoulder. He's the biggest cheerleader on this team as well. Remember when Alvarez hit the home run against the Mariners? Who threw his bat up and jumped up and down 10 feet off the ground? It was Bregman. Like, like he's that guy for them. A heck of a ball player. But he's the guy that's got the chip on his shoulder. He's the guy that brings the edge to that team. Altuve is just a great ball player. He does, he's not an edgy guy. Alvarez is not an edgy guy. Jeremy Pena, not that guy. Kyle Tucker, not that guy. They're great ball players. But the one guy that they have that has that edge about them, that can turn things on a dime, it's Bregman. So if he has a good World Series, they're going to win the World Series. Because for me, it's not about the pitching for the Strohs against the Phillies. That's not, that's not the, the key for me. For me is, can they do a better job with runners in scoring position? Because they too many times throughout this season and through the postseason, they leave too many guys on. They're so dependent on solo home runs to win games. Bregman's the guy. Can he get on base? Can he create extra base hits? Can he create opportunities for the guys behind him in the lineup to bring him in? I think Bregman's the key. Look, getting Altuve to hit better, that would be great. Alvarez to get some timely home runs, great. Kyle Tucker to be producing. Keep Jeremy Pena and Yuli Gurriel. Yuli all of a sudden can hit after 162 games of struggling to do so. He's been very good in the postseason. The guy that makes it kind of all go for me when I watch the Astros play is Alex Bregman. If Breggs is on, this team's going to win the World Series. Because the pitching is going to be good enough to win them games. Can the Strohs score enough runs? They haven't lost a game yet. Can they score enough runs? That's the big question mark for me. And I think Alex Bregman's key there. We can focus in on Altuve being the leadoff guy and getting on. I get all that. But I think it's Bragg. I really do. I think, I think it's Bragg's. I think it's his attitude, his leadership, the edge that he plays with. And if he can get on base and continue like he did in the ALDS and the ALCS, getting home runs, getting doubles, drawing walks, hitting well over 300, Astros are going to win this World Series. That's how I look at it. Woo. Unfortunately, unable to get Ali Cassell today to talk all things Pelicans. We'll get back with our friend from the Bird Rights. We'll reschedule him not to worry. We'll get the latest updates on the Pels. What I can gather from sources online, it appears that Zion Williamson and B.I., their injuries are not long-term, but they may be out for tonight's game. So we'll keep you abreast of that situation involving the Pels the rest of today here on the game, in particular on our afternoon slate of local shows with the Jordy Holberg Show and Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. 
we got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll wrap up today's show. We'll update that poll question of the day, and we'll get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Brett Chancy from the Locked On Astros podcast, helping us preview the World Series, which once again begins Friday, 7.03 first pitch for all World Series games. You can listen to them either here on the game or on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. Game one will be on News Talk 98.5 FM this Friday. Then game two will be on the game. Game three on Monday will be on the game as well. So will games four and games five which will be all in Philadelphia, three, four, and five. I want to thank Coach Dez from the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Once again, his team is looking to make it three in a row as they go on the road to take on Southern Miss Thursday night. Kickoff will be 6.30. And then, of course, the great one, Jim Gozzolo, our good friend from the McNeese Coaches Show, Poke Nation, and the late Charles American Press McNeese beat reporter slash columnist. We'll get Ali Cassell on next time. But thank you to all the guests. Also, want to point this out about the Astros Phillies. Lots been made about, you know, they're facing off against an NL East team, and the last two times they did that in the World Series, they lost. This will be their fifth World Series appearance for the Astros. They've never won game one. They lost four in a row, went 0-4 against the White Sox back in 2005. In 2017, against the Dodgers, they lost game one. Still ended up winning the series in seven games, but lost game one. In 2019, they lost both of their games at home. Remember, that was the weird year where the home team lost every game. Astros went down 0-2 against the Nationals. Then they went to Washington and won all three in D.C., only to come back to lose both games in Houston. Yet again. And then last year against the Braves, they lost that series in six, and guess what? Lost game one. How much of an advantage is that to win game one? It didn't matter to the Strohs back in 2017 when they beat the Dodgers. But the last two World Series they've been in, they've lost, and they lost game one. Just something, just some food for thought there. You know they're going to throw Verlander on Friday night. They're going to set their rotation. It's going to be Verlander. It's going to be Framer Valdez. And then we'll figure out what they're going to do with Lance McCullers if they use him in game three or game four. Probably going to use him and have Jose Orquidy right there to come in if McCullers struggles again. And then Christian Javier will be your other starter in that rotation. Uh, Once again, the Astros are proving you don't need to win game one to win the World Series, but they've never won a game one. This will be their fifth World Series. Can they change that? Because once you win game one, man, that puts you in the driver's seat. And you know it's going to be a tough environment in Philadelphia because Philly fans traditionally are ridiculous. So just some food for thought there for the Strohs as they open up the World Series Friday against the Philadelphia Phillies. Once again, we'll have that game for you on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. Game one, 
on News Talk. Game two on Saturday, 7.03 first pitch on the game. And then games three, four, and five, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all right here on the game. Poll question of the day. We asked you, who should the Saints starting quarterback be for Sunday's game? Once again, there's some uncertainty there. Is it going to be Jameis Winston? Is it going to be Andy Dalton? We asked you, should it be Andy Dalton? Should it be Jameis Winston? Or should it be Taysom Hill? Final results of our poll question of the day. If healthy, a lot of you have used the disclaimer, if healthy, the starting quarterback should be Jameis Winston. 49% of you voted that way. 26% of you say Taysom Hill. 25% say Andy Dalton. Look, I think it doesn't matter if it's Andy or if it's Jameis. As long as they utilize the man foot calls Batman. As long as you utilize him in multiple ways, your offense is going to be just fine. But you got to utilize your weapons. Doesn't matter if it's Jameis or Andy in there at quarterback. You got to use Taysom Hill. You got to use Alvin Kamara. You got to get the ball in your playmaker's hands. Got to get them in your playmaker's hands. That's what you got to do. Just saying. You do that, you're going to have a great chance. Once again, offensively, they've been able to score the ball with no problems. The problem is the turnovers on offense have been a major issue, and defensively, they've taken a step back. They are not very good on defense right now. That's going to do it for today's show here on RP3 and Company. It was a good one. Make sure you're safe out there when you're traveling around today. I know bad weather has seemingly left the area, but still be careful. And for the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah, five names, I'm Raymond Parch. The third will do it all again tomorrow, six to nine. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.